about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Okay, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel." See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather tonight. Father, we pray as we gather that you would help us to hear your voice to us and as we hear you speaking, to respond in joyful obedience. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't tell you how delighted I am to be with you tonight, uh, to be here for Becky's confirmation, to be here to finish the, the sermon series for you, to just be with you. It is so good, so good to gather with Christians after a long season where, I guess like most of you, I've been doing church remotely. Um, as I said, it's a great privilege to be here for the final sermon in this series on Church of the Living God. You've probably realised that the Bible uses a whole number of metaphors uh, to help us understand what the church is, or more to the point, what we are to be as the church. In previous weeks, you've looked at how the church is the gathering of the Lamb, it's the new humanity, it's the children of Abraham, and it's God's treasured possession. Well, tonight I want to finish that idea off by thinking about the idea of temple, the church as the temple of the living God, the place where we gather to worship God around the throne. This is one of the key things, this idea of gathering, that we've been missing out on this uh, during this COVID season of online church, gathering for worship. Now, don't get me wrong, I am hugely grateful that we've been able to do the whole online church thing. Imagine if this crisis had hit, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, it would have been impossible to do what we have done and to have done it so well. 
online churches have been able to nourish our souls. We've continued to feast on God's word. But I think you'd all agree, even those who are presently with us at home uh, looking on, online, that, that it's a second best. It, it's a best alternative, but, it, but it's actually a poor substitute for the real thing. Why is that? Well, thinking about the church as temple will give us one perspective on why online church isn't quite good enough. Now, having, having raised this idea, now I'm going to wrap it around with a whole lot of caveats because it's really important that we get the right uh, understanding of how to use the church as temple metaphor, mainly because it's been so badly used across the ages. Uh, churches throughout the ages have made the mistake of trying to replicate everything about the Old Testament temple, and we've ended up with church as the place where you have sacrifices done by a priest who's wearing sacrificial vestments at an altar. Uh, uh, that's, that's wrong, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. Uh, how, however, in reaction against that mistake... Uh, Perhaps we've gone too far in the other direction, and by we, I mean, I guess, Sydney Anglicans, and we are so wary about the use of the the language of temple and the language of worship that we almost don't think about it at church in those kind of terms at all. What I want to do tonight instead is to try and find the way between those two extremes and actually use the the metaphor of church as temple in a biblical way shaped by uh, the the New Testament. If you like, I'm doing a biblical theology of church as temple. And don't worry, we will actually get to Hebrews 12. It'll just be in the last third of the sermon. But let's start with uh, a a very quick picture of of the church. The temple. Old Testament temple had two functions. It was both the place of sacrifice and it was the place where you went to do business with God. It was the place of sacrifice because it was the place where God had chosen, out of all the places on the earth, uh, where sacrifices could be offered. There was a, a structure, it had a holy of holies where God was present. It was the place where there was an altar where sacrifice. You, you know that picture from the book of Exodus. Um, now here's the thing. Old Testament says that God dwells everywhere. Psalm 39, God is present everywhere by his spirit. And yet the God who is present everywhere by his spirit was especially present in the temple at Jerusalem. You might say he was manifestly present at the temple. So the God who was everywhere was specially in that one place. And he was there so that sacrifice, would be, you would be offering it to him because he was present. And it was the place where if you wanted to do business with God, it was where you went. Jesus transforms both of those functions of the temple. First of all, the the sacrificial function is transformed. Why? Because Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Well, more than that, he's actually the temple itself. Remember what Jesus says to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 2, that he would raise up a new temple in three days. And then we get that editorial comment, the temple of which he spoke was his body. It's a way of saying that we don't have an Old Testament temple anymore for sacrificial, where sacrifice is offered, because that place has actually become a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is is the temple. He is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is the guy that does the sacrifices. He is the high priest, and he is the place where it happens. He's a complete replacement for the whole package. What about the second function of the temple? Well, Jesus has transformed that as well because Jesus is now the place where God dwells in the midst of his people. If we want to meet with God, we don't go to a physical temple in Jerusalem anymore. We don't even come here to a church in Newtown to meet with God because the place where we meet God has become a person. It's Jesus. 
What do I mean by that? Well, it's because of what Jesus said, that when two or three Christians are gathered in his name, there they meet with God. In the same way that in the Old Testament there was a special manifestation of the presence of God in the temple, even though God was present everywhere. Likewise, even though Jesus is present individually with every single Christian, if you're at home, in your bedroom, under the doona, by yourself, guess what? Jesus is with you because Jesus dwells with you by his spirit. But the same Jesus who is with every Christian individually is specially present when Christians gather. Jesus promised his disciples, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them, literally in their midst. Jesus is using the language that's used in the Old Testament to describe temple stuff. When God says of the temple, I will dwell in your midst, it's exactly the same language. Jesus is saying there's a special presence when you gather that's not present under the doona at home by yourself. Now you're going to ask the question, how? In what sense is Jesus present here tonight that he's not present remotely? To answer that, I want to say that God is present by his word, through his spirit, in his people. And that's the characteristic of corporate worship. Let me unpack that for you. Firstly, God is present by his word. God doesn't manifest himself physically in this building. He comes to us through his word. Our God is a speaking God. He manifests his presence by speaking his voice to us. And that is to us, comes to us through the Bible. The Bible is a book like no other book because we read it in the presence of its author. Um, I read murder mysteries. I'm, I, so say I read an Agatha Christie mystery. I don't read it in the pre- presence of Agatha. She's been dead for quite some time. That would just be really spooky if she was, she was with me. But we believe that when I read the Bible, it's actually different, that as I read it, God is right there speaking to me. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, dividing the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So God speaks to us, how? By his word. But more than that, he speaks to us by his word, he's present by his word through his spirit. God's spirit takes God's word, the written word, and speaks it into our, our inner being. That word that was first communicated thousands of years ago can only be living and active today because of the presence of the spirit to make it present Uh, we see that dynamic for example in hebrews chapter 3 hebrews 3 is quoting a part of the old testament psalm 95 psalm 95 was written by king david round numbers call it a thousand bc but psalm uh, uh, but hebrews 3 doesn't say as david said a whole long time ago it actually says as the holy spirit says present tense not past tense That is, what David wrote, 1000 BC, is not just locked in the past. It's actually what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. And what is it that Hebrews 3 says that the Holy Spirit is saying right now? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's what God was saying to the people who are reading uh, what the the author of Hebrews wrote. It's the same thing that David said a thousand years earlier. And guess what? The Holy Spirit has just said that to every single person in this room tonight. And which day are we talking about? It's today. Today is the day when God is saying to you right now, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who has made that word of God speak to you 
made it speak to you right now. Sorry, that wasn't even a sentence in English. Um, but there's one more step I want to take. Yes, we see that how, how is God present? He's present by his word, through his spirit. But there's something distinctive about what we're doing here tonight for those of us who are gathered. What difference does it make that two or three are gathered in Jesus' name? Well, when we're gathered, God speaks by his word, through his spirit, in his people. When we gather together in Jesus' name, the way that the Lord speaks to us is not some disembodied voice from the heavens that just echoes. It's actually embodied in other Christians. God's word might come to us through a Bible reading or through prayers. It might come as, as we together confess our faith and we hear each other uh, declaring the praises of God or, or declaring his wonders. I want to stress that it, it's corporate, it's, it's reciprocal, it's not one way. It's not just, well, my job is to communicate God's word and you better listen to me. We gather together so that we can each encourage other. Gathering in Christ's name is when we speak as Christ to each other to hear Christ speaking to us. I want to stress that this ought to be what we think every time we come to church. In 1 Peter chapter 4, the Apostle Peter says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So in every conversation we should be having at church, we should be asking the question, not just the question, well, I wonder what God is trying to say to me as Matt is having this conversation with me, but also saying, what is it that God wants to say to somebody else through me tonight? How can I be Jesus? How can I speak the word of Jesus into this situation? It might be that gentle word of encouragement. It might be that word of testimony. It might be the word of praise. It might even be in sharing your struggles with each other. When we say these words, it's not just us speaking random things. It's an opportunity for God to be present, speaking by his word through his spirit in his people. When we gather corporately, our attitude should be the same as Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius says to Peter, We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to say. Notice that expectation. He's sitting there waiting for the Lord to speak. How? To speak through Peter. And as they do that, it's not that God is somehow absent and has sent, sent a messenger. No, we are in the presence of God waiting for him to speak to us. We should be constantly thinking the same way. What is the Lord saying to me in the sermon, in the prayers, as we said the confession together? And what is the Lord saying through me as we gather? We need to remember that God is not absent when we speak. God is present and speaking to us by his word, through his spirit, in his people. And that is the sense in which this temple as, uh, church as temple metaphor continues to apply to our corporate gathering. Church is the place where we gather in the presence of God to worship him. Worshipping God means making the right response to the God who is speaking to us. And we get a picture of what that looks like from Hebrews chapter 12. Yes, we finally got there. Don't worry, we're on the home straight now. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us that our worship is not like it was for ancient Israel. For ancient Israel, which is described, their worship is described in verses 18 to 21, worship was an absolutely terrifying experience. When, when they drew near to God at Mount Sinai, what was it like? Blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and a tempest. 
Hebrews 12 is saying, that is not our experience. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We have come to Mount Zion, that is the, the heavenly dwelling of God, God's true dwelling place in heaven. Verses 22 to 24 describe what this is like. It isn't a place of fear and gloom and terror. It's a place of delight, of joy. It's a place where gathered around the throne are innumerable angels in festal gatherings, just a fancy way of saying a big party in heaven. This is a place where God is worshipped as God. God is at the centre of the throne. But do you notice that it's not just the angels who are there in worship? Verse 23 says that this is the assembly of the firstborn. Literally, it's the church of the firstborn. That's what the word church means, assembly. And this is the assembly of those who can draw near to God. Why, verse 24, they can do that only because of the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. A bit cryptic, I know. Uh, Abel's blood, is, it's a reference to Genesis chapter 4. It's talking about the fact that after Abel had killed, uh, sorry, Cain has killed his brother Abel, Abel's blood cried out to vengeance from the Lord. So it spoke a word, well, a word of condemnation on, on the sinner. In contrast, Jesus' blood speaks the opposite word, a word of cleansing, of forgiveness. For those for whom the blood of Jesus says, you are forgiven, you are clean, they are the ones who can draw near to the heavenly throne with confidence. Now, don't miss the crucial point of this passage. This confidence to draw near to God's heavenly throne is not just something that happens when we die. Notice that the passage is present tense, not past tense. We have come already to Mount Zion. Okay, physically, we might still be here on earth, but our spiritual home is in heaven. If you are a Christian, then spiritually you are already part of that heavenly assembly. That is what church is in its most ultimate sense, the heavenly gathering of all God's people. What we do here, week by week, is both an anticipation of and a participation in that heavenly reality. As we worship God, we join our voices with those thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Hebrews 12 is reminding us that we are meant to be worshipping right now. And what is the essence of worship? And you're probably thinking it's something to do with singing. When in the church that I grew up in, we had, we had both kinds of music, not country and western. Uh, we had both kinds of music. We had praise and worship. And as far as I could work out, the only difference between them was the number of beats per minute. 100, 100 beats per minute or more, that's praise. Less than 100 beats per minute, it's worship. Right on 100, uh, you never knew. Um, actually, and the fact that we can't sing at the moment, which is, which is a real downer, does that mean we can't worship? No. What is actually at the heart of worship? Well, Hebrews 12 verse 25 tells us, do not refuse him who speaks. The first and most basic act of worship is responding rightly to God when he speaks to us. It begins at the beginning of the Christian life because the foundational act of worship is when we take God at his word when it comes to salvation, when we hear the gospel word that says you are a beloved child, that because of the death of Jesus, your sin, as bad as it is, can be washed away. 
And, and we, when we take God at his word, when we believe him, like, like Becky did seven years ago, and say, yes, I want that. I believe it. I'm going to put my trust in that. That foundational act of worship, worship is what makes us a Christian. And the way that we continue to worship is to keep on doing exactly the same thing in an ongoing way, not refusing him who speaks. To return to the theme of, of Hebrews 3, to let every day be that today, when we hear his voice, we do not harden our hearts. That is the key to how we do what it says in verse 28, to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It means coming into the presence of God with an eager anticipation of hearing his voice and not just expecting to hear it, but expecting to respond in joyful obedience. To be like the one described in Isaiah 66, verse 3, of whom God says, This is the one that I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. So as we think about gathering for corporate worship, let's remember that we gather in the presence of God. We gather to hear God speak to us through each other by private conversation and public proclamation, by psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, by prayers and praises. Corporate worship gives us the opportunity to speak the very words of God to each other and to hear the very words of God from each other and then worship him acceptably with reverence and awe by responding in joyful obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to gather together to worship you. Father, right now we pray that you would help us to do that. As we continue to hear your call to follow you and to love the Lord Jesus, that you would help us to respond in joyful obedience. And that as we do that, we would encourage those around us to do the same and speak to them the very words of God, that they too would respond in joyful obedience to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.